series on holiness. What does it mean to be holy? First week we learned that holiness is not an action, it's a nature. To be holy is to have the nature of God in us, a rightness with God. And we learned that we have become righteous, the righteousness of God, because of what Jesus did. And because of the cross of Jesus, He took us out of Adam and He put us in Christ, now giving us the same relationship that Jesus has with the Father you have. So we are a holy people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so our nature has been changed to a nature of righteousness and holiness. You are no longer classified as a sinner. You are now classified as a saint, a sanctified one, a holy being, a holy person. And we want to live that out in our lives. Amen? Well, there's, there's a problem with that. Pastor, you're telling me I'm holy. You're telling me I'm the righteousness of God. But I've got a problem. I do. I have a problem. And I've seen you around enough to know you've got a problem, too. That problem is sin. Why do we contend with sin? If I've been given a nature of holiness, why do I have to contend with sin? Well, your spirit was immediately sanctified when you got saved and made holy. Your soul is in the process of that work, working through you. But your body is the old container born in Adam. So God is renewing your mind, your spirit, your soul. Your your spirit is sanctified and holy, but it's in a body that's an old container. And I want to show you tonight so that you can learn how to overcome sin, where it resides and where that power is at. The power of sin. Let's find out why, as Christians, we still have to contend with the power of sin. And how to beat it. How to defeat it so we can walk walk in a righteous manner. So we're turning in our Bibles to Romans chapter 7, verses 17 to 20. I put this up here in case you don't have a Bible, but there are Bibles under the chairs there for you to use. I want you to read it. I want you to see it. Hopefully you brought your own Bible and you can highlight it and mark it. Let's look at what Paul is saying. Paul says this in verse 17, So now it is no longer I who do it. Do what? The wrong thing. Sin. But sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I don't want to do That's what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Can anybody relate to this? All right, now this is Romans 7, but what I want you to know is this is where a lot of Christians want to live. Christians appreciate this verse. They say, yep, that's me. Hey, Bible says that's me. I'm that. Good enough. Now this is on the road to Romans 8. Romans 8 tells you how to overcome sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. So remember, this is just helping you understand where sin is coming from, where it resides. And Paul does something absolutely tremendous. And if I can teach you anything tonight, it is this. You need to learn this. Paul identifies who he is in Christ separately 
than the power of sin dwelling in him. You say, what is he, schizophrenic? Is he split? No. He recognizes that there is a power at work in his body, in his flesh, that is always pushing to do the things that he does not want to do. And he needs a power within him that's greater than the power of his own flesh. And so what he does is he separates himself from this sin. Let me give you an analogy here. Let me help you understand it. How many of you have ever seen a boxing match? No, but okay, four of you. All right. I don't know if you pay per view for the big boxing match that was the other week. You wasted your money. I guess it was a dud. How many of you have ever seen boxers when they're tired, when they're, when they're fighting, clinch each other, hang on to each other? Why do they do that? Anybody? They're tired. They're stressed. What else? And what does it prevent? Yeah, there's no, there's no fighting going on, right? And see, what Paul does in this verse is he pushes sin away so that he can do what? Identify it. He can identify his enemy. He said, it's no longer I who sin, it's the power of sin residing in me. I delight in the law of God. I am birthed in righteousness and holiness. That's my true identity. So when sin comes along, I don't let it hug me, I don't let it hold me, I push it away so that I can give it what it needs. A good smack. Amen? See, if you don't, if you don't define your enemy, you can't beat your enemy. Now, I've said this before. I've talked to a number of Vietnam veterans. Who here is a Vietnam veteran? Anybody? One of the number one problems in Vietnam is they could never find the Vietnamese. They were hiding all the time. Jungle warfare. They couldn't see him. They couldn't find him. One of the f- most frustrating things in the Vietnam War was not finding the enemy. Once they could find the enemy, what could they do? Turn their guns, turn their warfare to that enemy. But if you can't locate your enemy, and if your enemy is too close and holding on to you, you're not going to differentiate between you and that power of sin in you. When you begin to differentiate, when you push that sin and say, that is sin, I don't want you. How many of you have chased thoughts in your mind? Oh God, forgive me of this thought. How could I think this thought? I'm a terrible person. What happens? You're wrapping yourself all up in that thought. How could I think like that? You must hate me for thinking like you spend the next half hour thinking about you being so miserable and lousy. Well, when those thoughts come in, you push it away and say, Father, that is not my thought. That is from my flesh. I reject it in Jesus' name. I am the righteousness of God, and I refuse to take that any further. Give it a good punch. Do you see what he did? He separated himself from the power of that sin. It's interesting. Sin listed in Romans 5 through 8 is listed 41 times as a noun. It's only listed once as a verb. We think of it as a verb. What I did, what I did, what I did. Paul personifies it and says, it's a power. It's a power at work in you. You need to unplug that thing. You need to not let that power talk to you anymore. You need to make sure that that power is out of your reach and no longer part of what your life is. It's a power from a fallen flesh. You have a new nature. So why is that person of sin pushing you around still? 
because we're too enthralled with it. We're too identified with it. Paul no longer identified himself with that sin. He said, it's, there is no good thing that is within me that is in my what? Flesh. There's no good thing within me that is in my what? Flesh. Where does sin reside? Where does the power of sin, as a noun, where does the power of sin reside? In our flesh. In this flesh container. Therefore, he separated himself from it and he identified it. He said, there's no good thing in my flesh. He didn't say this, there's nothing good about me at all. I'm a loser. I'm filthy and awful to God. He didn't say that. He said, there's no good thing in me, then he qualifies it, that is in my flesh, but my inner man delights in the law of God. Recognize this, folks. Our problem is our flesh. Not who you are in Christ, but what's in your flesh. Let's move on. Do you understand that? Romans. He goes on. 7 verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That's your regenerated spirit man. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my what? Members or flesh. Wretched man that I am who can save me or deliver me from this body of death. So again, he specifically identifies where sin resides. Where does, it power, where does its power reside? In our what? Flesh. He identifies it as members. What is that? Members. It's your body, your flesh, right? The, what's that? Well said. Very good. Because our flesh is not just skin. We say flesh, oh, it's, it sins in my skin. No, 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 no. In my members. What he's talking about is his identity in this atom container. It could be your mind, but your mind can be renewed, can it? In fact, let me help you understand what he's talking about when he says the members. Where does sin, the power of sin reside? In our flesh, in our members. Could be in our eyes, our, our, our mind, our soul, our, our, our hands, our lusts, our drives, our senses. Those are where sin attracts. Let me give you an analogy to deal with it. He says this. He says, my inner man delights in the law of God, Right? That's your spirit, man. How many of you love Jesus? Anybody here love Jesus? You love Jesus. You delight in Him, don't you? That's your spirit, man. Loving the Lord God. How many of you fail and sin? All right. Why? There's a power of sin where? In our flesh. Now, our flesh is a mechanism. I'm going to refer to it like a computer. It's a mechanism. And it relates to the physical world around us. It has eyes to see, ears to hear, mouth to taste, nose to smell, and it collects data, doesn't it? It collects information, and where does it send that information? To your brain, to your mind. Your spirit man is in tune with the heavenly realms and the spirit realms. It has eyes, ears, nose, mouth to smell and sense what God is saying. What does God want you to do? What is God saying in this hour? What is God saying? And where does it report to? 
your spirit mind, but to your mind. You've got to make a decision on that. So all the information's going where? In the mind. That's what he said, Romans 7.21. He says there's a war going on. There's a war between what my flesh wants to do and what my spirit man wants to do, and it's waging war in my mind, in my chooser, in my ability to say yes or no. This is where sin is made a decision or not. Do I sin or don't I? Do I obey the Spirit or don't I? Right? We go through this all day long. Now, think of it like a computer. Information going in. Right? Maybe I don't know what your, your operating system is. Maybe it's an apple. Isn't it interesting that the apple has a bite out of it? Traditionally, what, what had a bite out of it? A tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? right? I don't know if that's what they were about. Maybe that's your operating system. It's a fallen system now. Maybe you use Windows XP. I call it an expired program, XP. Because we're in an expired program. We were made in the image of God, but sin corrupted it. And now it is a program system that is flawed. So you were made with a, with a bunch of programs installed, factory presets. How many of you know that? You were made with factory presets. You had different programs put into you to run this system. So you have desires, right? Don't you? How many of you have a desire to eat? That you have to have that desire because if you don't eat, what will happen? You die. But in a failed system, a program that's fallen in sin, what can happen with eating? It can get a little bit too out, out of control, right? Same with drinking. How many of you need to drink? We all need to drink. That's part of our program, uh, right? Uh, and there are survival program put in us. And so we have desires and this and that. But in a failed program, those things can go awry, can't they? And this is where sin gets the best of us. There's nothing wrong with eating, but we can eat too much. There's nothing wrong with drinking, but we can drink too much. There's nothing wrong with medicating ourselves when we hurt, but you can over-medicate, can't you? There's nothing wrong with working, but you can do what? Overwork. There's nothing wrong with having fear programmed into us so that we know when to be ready for action. But what happens when fear gets out of control? It becomes anxiety and depression, right? It can, see, so we've got a good program, a mechanism here made, but it's fallen in an old container, and that's where sin resides, in the overdriving of these programs. Does that make sense to you? What about memory? Let's add to it memory. How many of you have ever heard of RAM and ROM? A few of you. Okay, RAM is the random access memory and then there's the read only memory when you're looking for a computer they give you these two ideas uh, how much storage memory storage do i have rom uh, and you're up to like one terabyte now isn't it is it a terabyte trigabyte trilobyte terabyte there it is terabyte thank you uh, trilobyte i think is some fossil from uh, a long time ago all right terabyte right that's wow that's gigs a lot. <laughs> so, so that's, but now your RAM, that only comes in, that's the memory you use when the computer's running it. It runs the real time. Kind of like short term and long term memory. So, let me ask you this How many of you have memories that create problems for you? 
How many of you have stored memories from when you were a kid that are mm, pretty corrupt files, man? They do a lot of damage when you remember back. How many of you remember that, right? And then there's short-term memory, stuff happening right now. Have you ever had a reaction to something right now based on an emotion from a long time ago? Your ROM is interfering with your RAM. Right? You know what I'm talking about. RAM memory. It operates the computer while it's running, but it doesn't keep any memory. That gets stored in the ROM. So there's that long-term memory. That stays there when you turn the computer off. Whatever's in ROM stays there. But not in RAM. If you, if you don't save your memory that's happening right now in the ROM, when you turn the computer off, it's gone. So there's things that you take in, you operate every day. How many of you will probably forget about most of the things that happened today? Right? Nothing, nothing too crucial, too important today for, for most of you, right? That you operated in your... You, you remembered what a chair was and you sat down and you operated your RAM memory and isn't that right? But there are times with, with that ROM, with the stored memories that consider us as a mechanism. Some of us are driven to sin based on corrupt files from a long time ago. Wounds and pains that are stored in us, right? Would you agree? Okay. Now, how about programs? We can add programs to a computer. We learn and we grow. How many of you have entered into a new season of life? Right? Uh, uh, A different change, a different phase, a different age. Maybe you're learning new things. You got a new job, you're learning a new job. Maybe you've, you've left something behind. Maybe you have a new relationship. We can add to us. How many of you have ever downloaded a new program on your computer? And it caused a lot of problems. I hate upgrades. How many of you hate upgrades, right? I just got used to operating this one. Then they give you an upgrade. Now I got to learn. They put everything over here when it was over there. And you have to reroute and learn, right? This is life. We all learn these new programs, new identities, new issues. And then the dreaded what? Viruses. You don't live a static life. Every day something comes into your life. You ever get viruses in your computers? Screens pop up. Call Microsoft right now and do this. Call us and we'll get rid of this. You're the one who put it there, I'm sure. (laughs) Viruses corrupt files. There's an enemy of our soul that is trying to upload a virus in you. To corrupt your files and to corrupt your understanding of God. That's the first thing he wants to attack. Your trust in the Lord. And he's going to send a virus into you so that you're going to think, wait a minute. God, where were you? How could you allow this to happen? God, I prayed this. How many of you have had these viruses come into this system? Do you see now why Paul says, he wasn't thinking of computers, but he's thinking about the member or the functioning of this body, and, he's, and there's so much that the enemy can destroy here. There's so much of memory and programming. How many of you know that you've been patterned or programmed to the patterns of this world? All of us are Americans. That's a real problem. Pastor, that's unpatriotic. No, it, I'm talking about the kingdom of God. Everything usually that's in America is anti-word. No, pastor, it was founded on Christian principles. Those founders are gone. (laughs) 
Now, we need them back. We need the Christian church to stand up and bring them back. But I don't know if you've been paying attention, but most things that are American now are no longer biblical. And, and so that it corrupted, right? So being... <coughs> excuse me. Being in our culture, every culture has things that are against God because the enemy is trying to destroy every culture as God is trying to win every nation. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so this is a problem. So that's what Paul is trying to say. That power of sin dwells in the mechanisms of this flesh. So what do we need? We need a reboot. We need an upgrade. We need a new programming. Right? How many of you know that? You need to get out of the expired Windows. You need to come to the Windows JC version. Right? Where there's anti-malware and there's, there's uh, virus protection and, and the Spirit of God comes and, and reorients you and, and cleans out all these bad memories and bad programs and brings you life and truth and the truth sets us free. Does that make sense to you? Now, you say, why can't he do that the minute I got saved? Well, how many of you remember this screensaver? 3D pipes. That's you in your thinking, in, in your patterns of life, in your memory, in your past, in your present. And if God, let's say that pink, you see the pink? Let's say that that pink is a damaging memory, a damaging experience. Maybe you were abused. Maybe, maybe someone did something horrible to you. And that's built right into all of your life growing up, your thinking, your decisions. Can anybody relate to something like that? It's entwined in everything you do, right? So if he just takes it out, what's he going to do? It's going to rip up everything, isn't it? My identity's tied to that. My decisions in life have been tied to that. The thing he needs to do is go in there and extract just the pink thing. How does he do that? The entrance of his word brings light, brings truth. That lie that's intertwined in everything, when you come to a knowledge of what is true concerning that, it kills it without disturbing the rest of who you are. Does that make sense to you? That's the power of His Word. That's what needs to take place in healing and in deliverance. And that's the process by which our mind is renewed. From the patterns of this world, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. That happens day after day as we study, read, and pray. That's why, brothers and sisters, you need more than Sunday church and Wednesday night Bible study. There's too much junk in this mess here. And he wants to reboot the whole program. So you've got to stay in the Word. I've got to stay in the Word every day. I've got to pray every day because there's fresh revelation God's showing me. There's attitudes and actions He's healing in me. And if you would interact with Him, you're going to find great healing and deliverance every day by the Spirit of God. Isn't that a good thing? Amen. So, <laughs> we have got to overcome sin. And what I call our sin seizures. Sin seizures. They come out of the blue, right? Uh, 
1 Corinthians 10.13. Let me read that to you. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. You get that? God is faithful. He'll not leave you or let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, He'll provide a way out so you can stand under it. But it says this, interesting word, no temptation has seized you except that is common to man. Sin seizes us. Paul uses the same phrase to the Romans. And he says, when sin seized the opportunity. What's he talking about? Where does sin reside? In the flesh. And when your flesh seizes an opportunity, when your flesh is weakened by a temptation, your flesh has a seizure. A sin seizure. Comes on you. Right? It's, it's usually premeditated, but yet it has a power to overwhelm us. Most of us, because you love Jesus, most of us are not habitually practicing sin. John calls it falling. Falling into sin. So most of us are not practicing sin. If you are, you need to deal with that because God will expose it. You have a decision right now whether you're going to repent of a pattern of sin and if you're not, God loves you so much He is going to expose it and let everybody see it. What do you want? Deal with it. Because sin's going to give birth to death. Now, All right, so we have a sin seizure. It comes on us, and we go after it. Let me give you an illustration of how it can attack us. There's a story of how Eskimos kill wolves. When an Eskimo wants to kill a wolf, they take their very sharp knife, and they dip it in an animal's blood. Let it dry, re-dip it, let it dry, re-dip it in the blood, stick it blade up in the snow at night the wolf smells what blood it's seized at the opportunity and the temptation as it smells this blood it comes up to the knife and starts to give it a lick and it tastes the blood Ooh, this is blood and it begins to lick, and it's seized with the taste of that blood. And it begins to lick, and it begins to lick, and it's tasting that blood. And as it licks off the blood, it begins to taste blood, and it begins to lick some more, not realizing it's tasting its own blood. And it licks it so much and weakens itself from a loss of its own blood. By the morning, that wolf is laying dead as it killed itself. Now, I'm sorry if you love wolves. <laughs> But that's a reality. What happened to that wolf? He killed himself because he hungered and his desire overtook him. Even in his own pain. That is you and I. When sin overtakes us and we can't stop licking. We can't stop. And we've got to become aware that that is the power of sin. It's residing in our flesh and we have got to do something about it. Now, the Bible tells us that we have a choice and a power that since Jesus overcame sin and death, 
we now have power over sin. We need to recognize that we no longer have to lick the blade of temptation anymore. Because we have the power of God's Holy Spirit in us so that when we want to taste that blade, when we're overcome with temptation, the Spirit of the Lord says, don't go there. And if you're being obedient, you can resist that sin. Before you knew Jesus, you couldn't. Now you can. Now you can. And the Bible says, now there is an option. What are you giving life to? Are you listening in that war of your mind to your member, to your flesh, or are you listening to the Spirit? Remember, it's a mind choice. It's a decision. You have the free will to make it. And we have got to work at not making a decision for sin anymore. As we mature and grow in the Lord, we can do this, brothers and sisters. We can overcome the power of sin. And God will have you beat an old sin that was dogging you. A besetting sin. You can destroy it. Guess what he'll do next? Show you another one. Why? So you can overcome it. What do you think it means when we read in Scripture we're more than overcomers? We're conquerors. What are we overcoming? Right? Everybody, all the Christians sing that. I'm an overcomer in Jesus. I'm an overcomer in Jesus. What did you overcome? My boss is a jerk. I'm an overcomer from him. He doesn't bother me anymore. I'm an overcomer. What are you overcoming? What's the fight? Sin. He wants us to be overcomers. We have a church worldwide, but we have a church that sings overcoming, but continues to sin and it it shall not be so the bible says that what are you giving life to so james says on your outline each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed tasting that blood then after desire has conceived it gives birth to what sin and when sin is full grown it gives birth to what death this is the birthing or giving life to sin you have the power you and i have the power to give life to sin can can i tell you something i i i I don't know if this will offend you or not but all the problems you're dealing with in your life that were brought on by sin you gave birth to it Now, there's other people who are sinners that come against us. They gave birth to it. But I've got one greater in me than he that's in the world. I can overcome them. But the sins that dog us most are the ones we gave birth to. Now, you can abort that birth at temptation. Now, or you can give life to something else. Romans 8, 26 and 27. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, that word groanings is birth pangs. He used it in the previous verses talking about creation as groaning as in birth pangs for the sons of God. And we groan inwardly as birth pangs. Here he says the Spirit's groaning as birth pangs. To do what? (coughs) 
too deep for words. He searches the hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit wants to birth God's will in your decisions. When you don't know what to pray for and you're weak and ignorant, the Spirit is interceding for you so that you will choose righteousness. So we have the power of life. In that war in our mind against sin, we can choose lust and temptation which will give birth to sin, which will give birth to death. Or we can follow the Spirit who is praying for the will of God in your decision and say, yes, Holy Spirit, I choose this and abstain from sin. And you've birthed righteousness in your decision. That's our walk. That's our life. I conclude with this. There are three things we need to do this. Let me show you this chart. Here's where it matters. I don't know if there's a besetting sin that you're fighting. But we're walking along that righteous life. Here we are walking. Following Jesus. There we are following along the path. Then temptation comes. What are we going to do? There's where the war starts in your mind. Here's where the Holy Spirit begins to intercede. Groaning and groaning and intercede for you. Words can't even express how much He's praying for the will of God in your decision. And your flesh, the power of sin is going, I want that. I need that. That looks good. If you give birth to it, what happens? You give birth to sin. Now, how many of you know what the devil does as soon as you disobey the Lord? You crash, bam, into guilt and shame. How many of you know that? And you stay in that place. You made the wrong choice, and then he condemns you, and you feel so miserable because of it. So what has to happen, brothers and sisters, is it's at this point you need to separate from the power of flesh the sin. Remember at the first picture I showed you with that boxer? It's right there that you need to push it away so that you can fight it and you can detour from temptation and make a right choice for righteous living. It's in those crucial moments. Can I tell you when most of them are? When you're too tired. Go to bed earlier, will you? I am serious. Most of us make our worst decisions late at night. You're tired. You're feeling lonely. Tired. Lonely. Need to self-medicate. Poor me. I deserve. All of a sudden you hear it. You deserve a break today. So get out and sin and play. How many of you had that... I've done it myself. I, I'll go home after a long day. I preach hard and have counsel, minister, this and that. I'll go home 10 o'clock. I deserve a big old sandwich and milk and ice cream and cookies too. Because I worked hard. Now, that's a small issue. Someone might choose something else. But that's the point we've got to watch. Now, this is what we have to do. In order to have yourself ready at the point of temptation so that you can choose life instead of death, 
You need to stay in the Word of God. You need to stay in prayer. And you need to worship the Lord. A grateful heart. These three elements are a must. They can't be a weekend thing. It can't be a Wednesday night thing. Oh, we do come and do those things together. This has got to be an hourly thing. Oh, pastor, do I really have to do that? That seems so religious. It has nothing to do with religion. It has everything to do with you saving your life from sin and death. We have got to meditate on the Word of God continually. We've got to stay in fellowship in prayer with Him, talking to Him. And last of all, you've got to have a grateful heart and worship Him for all that He has done. These three things being motivated in you at all times, when temptation comes, you'll hear the voice of the Spirit and choose life and righteousness instead of death through sin. Are you with me? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Stand with me tonight. Let's pray. Oh, God, I hope this has been practical. I hope it's helped you understand what's going on in your life. You're never going to walk away from the power of sin until you drop this body. It's always going to reside there, so you have to be ready. I want to pray. God needs a people today, right now, that are prayed up, filled with the Word, and have a heart of worship. How many of you know that this world is going nuts? It's going nuts. It's ramping up. We're at a place right now where things are ramping up to such extreme 